if you're running down a flight of stairs and then you start thinking about how your feet are hitting every stair or the mechanics of your knees bending, something that you know how to do, no problem, is probably going to get screwed up. So how many times are people actually swinging it very well and just messing themselves up because they have 18 different thoughts and every one of them is different on every swing? Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on this episode, we've got part one of my conversation with Kyle Alderink. He's one of the best young instructors in the country and has been a highly skilled, influential coach in the industry for years now. We're going to be talking about what Kyle does with players to help them perform better, how long to stick with a swing change or a putter or a swing instructor, how to manage your expectations with getting better, should you make major changes to your golf swing, and more. I expect you to leave this episode with a better understanding of the value of having better control of your emotions. That's one really good topic that we cover. But before we get into this episode, I have a brand new product that I just released. It's a custom weekly practice plan. You give me your stats or your assessment of your driving approach shots, short game, and putting, and you tell me when you can typically practice, and I will hand build you a practice plan and send it to you in PDF form, as well as a customizable template with practice challenges. If you're interested in practicing better and practicing the way I did to get good enough to make it to the finals of a USGA championship, then you need a custom weekly practice plan. Go to joshnicholsgolf.com slash practice dash plan or go to the link in the show notes to learn more and purchase your practice plan. And if you feel like you need one-on-one work on your mental game, that's what I do. Yes, I host this podcast and I build practice plans, but my actual occupation is working with players all over the world on their golf psychology. If you like these episodes and the topics that I cover with guests and my Golf Thought Thursday episodes, this is the exact type of stuff that I work on with players. So if you'd like to take the next step to improve your mental game, then send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com, or you can visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. Or if you'd like a less formal intro into mental coaching and uh, also free to where like you don't have to purchase the practice plan, you could take the mental game assessment. It's a 15-minute questionnaire that'll give you your mental game strengths in your biggest area for mental improvement. It's a great resource to start working on your mental game, and the best part is it's free. The link to everything I've mentioned will be in the show notes of this episode. All right, let's get into this conversation with Kyle Alderink. I hope you enjoy. All right, uh, everybody, welcome to the Mental Golf Show. I have Kyle Alderink uh, joining us today. He's one of the best young instructors in the country, and uh, as that's a growing class of, of really good professionals, so that's that's a uh, tall order to be part of that. So, Kyle, first off, I appreciate you being here. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So, uh, right, um, uh, right off of air, you were you were describing kind of your your desire to get outside, get out, um, get out on the course. And, and you talked about being a performance coach. So maybe you can, uh, fill the listeners in on what kind of things you work on performance wise with players, because you said, I help players, I help young players get better. I help players Mm -hmm. get better at golf and perform better. So what do you mean performance? Uh, that sounds to me like it's not just about swing mechanics, right? And P3 and whatever. So what do you, when you say I'm, I'm helping players perform better, what do you mean? 
I mean, the, the simplest way to say it is score better. You know, at the end of the day, it's what numbers on that card, whether, you know, it looks good or it doesn't look good. You know, a long time ago, I learned that where I would have, you know, a player reach out and say, hey, I shot 75. You know, somebody was shooting 80s. I'm like, that's exciting. They're like, but I hit it crappy. I'm like, huh. <laughs> you know, but I'm like, who cares? But at that point, you know, as a younger instructor who was all into the technical side, like, you're like, well, they should be hitting it good. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, it didn't take me long to figure out. I mean, I'm somebody who sees patterns very well and can kind of very intuitive person. So, like, I started to see, like, huh, maybe that doesn't matter <laughs> as much. It's like whatever t- gets that darn score down is what matters, right? And so I started to learn that and I started to think, well, not only what's the quickest way, because everybody's looking for shortcuts, but it's what's the most effective ways. So I, that's where I started really diving into more mental game um, and started looking into biomechanics and learning different things about the body. And hey, maybe this person is not hitting these positions that I want to because that's just not how their body's designed it to move. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I I don't probably shouldn't go too deep in this, but I developed a little disdain on the fitness side of things because simply because all the stuff that I'm not supposed to be able to do passing those functional tests, I can't pass those things and I can do everything they tell me I can't do. So I was always like, again, I'm somebody who's always a skeptic. I'm like, well, that sounds great in a marketing sense, but why can I not do a pelvic tilt, but I can still stay in posture through the shot? Like this doesn't seem right to me. Um, so anyway, so I, that's, that's just like how my whole journey is going. Like, you know, I'm always, I'm always evaluating, well, is this the a right way to go? Does this make sense for a player to do? Does this help them get there in the most effective way possible? And there, and again, don't get me wrong. I would never tell anybody not to work out or anything like that. I just don't think like you have to be able to move a certain way to swing a club a certain way. It's just my opinion. And I probably get scolded for that, but I've, I've seen a lot of success, unfortunately, humbly without, ever telling anybody to go to work out i've had that success without ever stepping into a gym um so anyways that's probably where i didn't need to go down to but anyways that's where i started favoring more of the mental side of the game um how to think emotional control and really started going down that rabbit hole big time i mean whether studying other other sports other coaches uh, i really studied military navy seals you know, and just because I always looked at who is the most elite performers. And, you know, I've said this pretty openly. I always thought golf was pretty far behind in terms of helping people develop their potential as people and as performers. We're really good at breaking mechanics down, you know, and figuring out why people do things wrong. But I didn't feel like it was the best in terms of like, how do you actually get this person to confidently stand up there? and do things when it matters and when there's pressure there. And that was what I wanted to solve. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you definitely sound like you got kind of a rebellious streak to you. You, you kind of go against the grain. It, uh, it seems like, I guess I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I just, I'm somebody who, again, I looks at something and I'm like, okay, that's doesn't make sense. I poke a lot of holes in things and that's how I, that's how I've come to conclusions of things that work for me and don't. Cause the first thing I do is I take something and I try to poke every hole that I possibly can. Um, and I try to figure out why it's flawed or if it's flawed and because I want to make sure I'm, you know, people, the way I've always looked at things is people are paying me and trusting me. Like I, I, they deserve the best they can get from me. They deserve the best information, the best version of me, you know? So that's how I've always approached coaching and approached the game was that they deserve the best information. It's my job to filter through all the BS. Um, and 
there is a lot of it out there mm-hmm. and there's a lot of amazing stuff out there too. So it's like, what works for people? Why does some things work for some people and some don't for others? You know what I mean? I started looking at a lot of, I was fortunate to be in um, rooms with some, a lot of the best coaches in the world. And I'm, you know, why did this guy have a lot of success with this player, but not that player, you know, not every coach and there's perfect, right. They succeed with some, not with others. And I would even have people, you know, top coaches, I mean, legendary coaches say, yeah, you know, maybe 50, 60%, if I'm being very honest with you, I'm successful. I'm like, why is that? Why, what's, what's the other 40 lacking? You know, and that's, that's just how my mind has always gone. And so I've always looked at the approach of like, how do we solve this for everybody? Um, you know, and how do we, how do we come up with the unique ways of doing that for each person? So um, that's how I've always kind of filtered more towards, again, like the, you know, the biomechanics things of like, how is this particular person's body movement or personality types, um, you know, learning that route of things with John Weir and mental golf type is like, you know, educating myself on, you know, why does this person think a certain way? How is their brain wired? Like, those are the things I wanted to solve is how do I solve this for the individual and help them get there? How do I motivate that individual? Can you motivate that, in- that individual? You know, these are all the questions that my head just goes through constantly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's certainly more holistic than uh, get your swing looking like this because I said so and because this is what I've learned is the best way for everyone to swing. So just do it. So with that being said, how much how much do you let the player drive things? Uh, obviously, you're the expert and you offer your expertise and you help them cut through the BS mm-hmm. and you do all the BS learning so that they don't have to, that kind of thing. But how much do you let them drive the show as opposed to you? Uh, how do you, how do you strike that balance? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, a lot of it, I think de- depends on the level that they're at. You know, it's, it's a little different if I have a, a professional um, versus you know, like a 12 or 13 year old that, you know, is one of those kids that you might see and like, good, they have a lot of potential, but they still score poorly, you know, and that person might have a jacked up grip and, you know, the swing's just out of whack, but you can see there's just wild potential in that person. You know, that's the one I'm probably going to get in there and, and instill a little more of like what I essentially like to see in terms of swing stuff. I mean, there's basic things I want to see. I want to see a good grip, good setup, good square club face, you know, just those things and how they typically move and manage that. Um, I think the raw they are, the more I'll instill, you know, what I guess my preferences are. But again, on the intuitive side, I'm always looking to see is their body fighting a way that I'm, you know, trying to move or something like that. And just, just overall body things. I mean, tall, lanky people are going to have a little different swing than short, sacky people. Um, you know, like I, I deal with a lot of runners. Runners are tight. They can't turn the way I want them to turn, <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, getting them to learn how to use the ground a little more and a little more vertical. So, so things like that, I guess I, I, it's weird because my wife asked me like how I always just like come up with that stuff. So play, I'm like, I don't know. I just see a pattern and like my mind starts to formulate a plan. Sometimes that plan doesn't go the way I want it to, but that's, that's a part of coach. Like you got to figure out how to solve those problems on the fly and steer them in the right direction. And more importantly, get them to buy in because it's very, very easy these days to just go, well, that doesn't work after a a session or two and, and to just jump ship, you know what I mean? So I think in part of coaching and, you know, somebody who's really wanting to change their game or get improve their game, there's gotta be commitment. There's gotta be buy-in. There's gotta be trust. You know, they got trust that, Hey, it's like, 
this might not, you might not just fix it right right away or, or get better today, but you will get better if you keep going down this road. And that's, that's really the magic of coaching is to get people to commit to there and then actually know what the hell you're doing. So you get those results, which, you know, as you, as you get results more over time, people tend to trust you a little easier, but in the early days, you know, you got to really sell that. Like, I know what I'm doing. I can help you if you don't really have the testimonials to back it up. Yeah. 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 Okay. So a, a player is, this is a common thing I hear in, in my sessions with players on the mental side is kind of patience sticking through swing changes or difficulties or, yeah, I just, I mean, should I stick with this, uh, you know, putting grip or so, like real nitty gritty stuff. And, and my go-to response is, uh, generally to stick it out. But how do you, how do you talk to players about, yeah, you're not seeing results right now, but you will, I promise. Or I don't know. How do you, how do you kind of instill that patience into a player? Well, I, I'm always one that, that thinks you should see some results quick. But the result by no means means you're going to be able to go do it on the course under pressure. I mean, I, I, you know, there's a hierarchy, right? Like everything is going to always be easier in practice, no pressure, right? And you got a bunch of security balls or reps or whatever you want to call them. Like you, if you're doing something and you're getting all those reps, like you should be seeing relatively quickly some at least difference, right? Like if you're hitting it right and all of a sudden you're hitting it left, well, okay, things are changing, right? So we can bridge that gap. So you're starting to see like, hey, there's a difference. But if you're trying to change something, somebody's like just struggling and ball still going right and they're just not seeing that, that's a, that's a hard thing to sell, man. Um, you know, or if you're you're hitting putts and you just like just cannot get speed down, even in practice as you're just getting a bunch of reps. Like again, I'm I'm one that you should be seeing it there, but but it, you know, I'm always telling people like, look, man, like you're gonna see it a lot better here probably not great on the course and you get under pressure, it's going to be a crap show. Mm, yeah. But until you can do it an X amount of times, I mean, very basic level, you got to be able to do something three times in a row in practice before you're even going to see it on the course with no pressure. You got to be able to do it probably five to 10 times in a row on the range or something before you're going to be able to do it on the course comfortably and then under pressure. So like, that's, that's where I'm going. Like, let's measure this and let's put a standard behind it. Like, okay, now you're starting to do it in practice. So now they can see the results. So that starts to build the confidence and trust. But I, by no means I'm letting them believe that you're probably going to go do this when there's a little bit of pressure right away. Cause you're not. And that's something I had to really learn the hard way along the coaching career, because as a coach, we want everybody to feel good, you know, and you want like them to, Hey, you're a great coach. You're doing great for me. So you try to just build that up. Right. But what I would do is I would oversell them. Like you're doing so great. And they go on the course and just the bed, you know what I mean? And then it's just like, now you look like a jackass, <laughs> so, but cause it's just not real, you know, but like you want that, like, Hey, everything's going great. I'm a great coach. You know what I mean? And I, you know, I you go like everybody else, um, less so as I'm getting older, but, um, but that's the thing is you start to learn the, what really to expect and what's real. And then they tend to buy in a little more, especially when you can kind of predict it at that level. Like, look, you're probably going to suck on the course for a minute, you know, because you got to, you got to get some more reps, but you got to more so be able to build that feeling like you're in control of it. And when something's different, especially like if you just move somebody's grip a quarter of an inch over, it feels like you've changed the entire world on them. So they start feeling like now they're on the course. Now I don't know where this thing's going because now I got one ball and I got trees and water in my way. 
you know, versus an open driving range and all this, then you throw them under pressure and it's like, come on, now it's not, not no chance. And then it becomes chaos and it's like, whatever. But now if they know that that's the process, then that's what it is. But again, kind of a long-winded answer of, I really believe that if you are working towards something, you should at least see pretty immediate results. Not like necessarily like a snap of a finger, but you should be seeing at least some differences and some moving in the right direction in practice. Let's make a final point on it as possible, because I don't know how often I've heard someone talk about it as clearly as you have. Someone goes to an, a new instructor, completely new, and usually new instructors bring kind of a new philosophy and and mm-hmm. try to like, whoa, I've never heard, uh, you know, he's he's getting me to try this that no other instructor has got me to try. So let's, you know, let's really stick it out and, and see. Mm-hmm. If, if they have gone to three lessons with this instructor and the thing that they're working on is still not making any difference after let's say three months, what do you say? Like your bail, bail completely find someone new. I mean, I think it would need a little more context. Um, I mean, my, my first inclination wants to say yes. <laughs> yeah. Like I would be like, okay, then, then something's not up because I, I just personally don't think it's that hard when you have good direction. You know, I really don't. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to make some, <laughs> And I've always been skeptical of like major, major changes. Personally, I've, I've never really seen, and I know there's probably examples out there. So like people listen, I hope I don't get ridiculed for this because I, I am sounding more and more like the bad guy and I really don't mean to. Um, but I have rarely seen for the better people make radical changes and just do something totally out of their norm and work for the better. I just really haven't seen that. I've seen it work more in the opposite way. I mean, how many number ones in the world have we seen that tried to change stuff and then fell off the face of the earth. Right. So I think that people have a little more of a natural way of doing things. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of natural to golf, but I think there's just ways our body tends to move. And if you're going very against, especially for people who've had success, um, you know, but if you're going against that, it's probably not great, especially if you're not seeing something right away. Um, it's just that's just again my opinion, and again, like I said, I'm sure there's plenty of examples of that working and being great and stuff like that. But most, I, I mean, I've been fortunate to know, get to know, I mean, some of the best, if not the best, coaches in the country. I mean, lots of them, and I've never really known anybody that's going to say like, "Hey, this player, I'm going to take them and just change everything into my system." Like, I've not heard that from like one person. I'm gonna I'm gonna work with this clay as it is, I'm not going to throw it out and bring in a new piece, right? I'm going to mold, try to guide you into something more that your individual body and tendency likes to do. Yeah. I mean, if you even look at some examples, like Ricky Fowler had that big kind of, you know, outside seat takeaway, right? Like Butch Harmon, all he did is get the club to move like this much, (laughs) you know, or even like, I mean, Tiger made a big deal out of this change with Hank Haney and uh, you know I mean his club went from like here at the top to like here you know I mean it was it was a lot of time to make what I would consider little different changes like they weren't really changing his whole entire body movement and things like that just changing some club positions and it's all great success but rarely have I seen anybody go like I've done it this way you know especially good players you know bad players sometimes you might need to just start over scrap it (laughs) yeah yeah you know or just just work on some good positions but like you know players who've had somewhat success 
And especially for people of the working class, like you don't want to sit out there for hours and hours just trying to rebuild something when it might just be you need to grip it better or stand better. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've had that situation happen where I've had players come to me who have worked with other coaches and stuff. And again, I'm not, again, I, please, I'm not scrap, like, I'm not trying to bash yeah, anybody. Yeah. It's just, you know, sometimes people see things a little differently. And I've had it happen to me. I've lost students and some other coach made a tweak and the player played great. Hurts, but it's the nature of the beast. But I've had players come where they were like, I've been working on this position. I've been working on getting the club face square and I've been doing all this stuff and I'm just struggling and struggling. And like, I would move, I put, it would be like their grip just needed to get a little stronger. And it was like, that's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, a lot of times, uh, simple is not sexy, you know, but in most cases, just getting a good grip, getting a good stance, getting a good, you know, good footwork. I mean, that stuff takes care of a lot of, a lot of stuff. And a lot of times, how many times are things off just because we're just thinking about so many things? I mean, I make the example, I, like if you're running down a flight of stairs and then you start thinking about how your feet are hitting every stair or the mechanics of your knees bending, something that you know how to do, no problem, is probably going to get screwed up. So how many times are people actually swinging it very well and just messing themselves up because they have 18 different thoughts and every one of them is different on every swing? You know, I mean, that, that type of stuff being on the mental golf show here mm-hmm. is uh, is it really jacks it up. Because, I mean, once you start getting a lot of conscious thought blocking what the subconscious is doing, it it creates an ill pattern. I mean, that's one example. No, he's a lot is like if you're if for anyone that can drive listening to this and a cop pulls up behind you. Like you start trying to, you know, make your speed perfect. You start trying to drive perfectly straight. And next thing you know, like your speed's all over the place. You're kind of, you know, because you're trying to do everything that you already know how to do perfectly or you're really consciously thinking about it jacks up the whole operation system. I mean, there's just been a lot of times where like, you know, somebody's like, oh, I'm doing this in my swing or I did this wrong, I did this wrong. And I'll video like three or four in a row. I'll be like, tell me which one's which. And they can't do it because it all looks the damn same. You know, so like most people that work with me at this point get a kick because my my mantra is it's always the same. <laughs> so I don't know if you allow cussing on here, so you can bleep me out. But that's just my that's just who I am. Man. Yeah. But it, it, it's like I you know I'll have these kids come back and they'll be like, oh, I did this, and they just look at me like, same shit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes, and we'll, like we'll video and it's like same thing, but like you just got to be able to self correct that a little bit quicker, yeah. or just you know not let yourself go down the rabbit hole of, well, I need to get the club in here and my weight needs to be more here type thing. It's, it's usually always the same dang thing. Yeah. Are you, when, as you're coaching, are you trying to, what's the term? Are you trying to get yourself fired in a way of like, and not, not, not trying to piss people off and like, please fire me. But, uh, are, are you ever like, I want to get you to where you can fully coach yourself. That's the ultimate, uh, thing. Or are you like this relationship? You like getting paid. You like keeping people around. You're probably not going to say that, but, uh, do you, is that your ultimate goal is get you self-sufficient? Um, I mean, yes, to a point, but I think everybody needs a support system. I mean, you look at the pros and things like that. I mean, I, I laugh because I have, I'm, I don't hold back again. I used to as a younger coacher, but now I'm, I'm very, very blunt. Um, and, and usually in a joking way, but I mean, I just keep it real with people and they know they can keep it real back with me. So it's, I have a relationship where, you know, kids will cuss at me. I'll cuss back at them. Like, it just is what it is. You know, I'll tell them that you're full of shit. Nope. I'm not worried about that. Um, 
but it's like I've I've learned and I've actually been more successful, the realer and more obnoxious I've been with people. I mean, to the point where like, you know, I've had, I had one girl the other day ask me if my wife ever just hauls up and slaps me. <laughs> she just feels so mad at me. <laughs> um, but, you know, those are the relationships I think that are the best. And, um, but that's also the support system. I mean, they they know that, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> again, I probably shouldn't say this, but they're always like, oh, you're the middle one I call if I ever go to jail type thing, <laughs> you know, so you know, I would love to, I, I always try to tell people, uh, there's a really good example I like to use. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm from Michigan, so I'm a huge Detroit everything fan, historian of Detroit sports. And, you know, there was one of the Detroit Pistons playoff games, um, trying to remember who it was against, but whatever. And, uh, um, the coach Chuck, he, well, he took the whiteboard and like cleared everything off it. I was like, if you guys don't know this by now, then we were meant to lose. You know what I mean? And then that's that's what I try to tell people. Like, look, if we're in a competitive season and you're in the tournaments and you don't know these problem solutions that we work tirelessly on, then that's on me. You know, <laughs> either you're just purely not listening or I'm just not doing a good enough job of getting you to understand these things. And that's really the simplest way to look at like how I try to coach is I try to set problems in their way. And that's why I get people so heated with me a lot is because I I just, I'm always talking trash. Like I'm trying to rattle them and I'm like, I want to get this done in practice so you can learn how to do this. Like I want you rattled here and learning how to figure it out. I don't want that easy practice of you sitting there with a pile of balls going, Oh, it's so good. That doesn't mean that does us no good. Like zero, <laughs> you know what I mean? It feels great in that moment, but you're going to go struggle on the course because you don't know how to overcome any kind of struggle. You don't know how to handle the high heart rate. You don't know what to do when that first tee shot goes offline. Like I want you flustered. And I want to get in your kitchen. I want to compete with you. And then I'm going to talk trash when we do it and, and just kind of build off of that. So you, you mentioned earlier levels of pressure, right? And your game takes those steps down as the pressure gets higher. But there's also, as you're talking about, there's ways to train you to be able to handle pressure more. So how much of it is kind of, I'm going to develop my game to where I can handle pressure, but also... I'm going to get to a place where I can accept that my game will be worse under pressure. How are you in the business of both or one or the other? Yeah, I think to me, I guess what I've kind of over time simplified it down to is, is just being in control and knowing your solutions, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I alluded to like, if you know the answers to a test and that like, that's your final exam. And that means, you know, your entire grade. If you go in there and you know the answers and you're prepared for everything throughout, you, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable than if you don't. So that's, I guess, my biggest thing is I'm trying to make sure you have the solutions to everything. If you don't know how to hit this little short side shot out of rough, let's figure that out. <laughs> you know, you can't hit a, a bunker shot that's sitting, you know, a little down in the bunker of the front lip. Like, let's figure that out. Like, I want to have all of those solutions in place. If you get out there and you start hooking it again, like, what's what's that simple solution what do we need to do or even better yet what do we need to do at warm up so you don't even get there you know so i'm trying to say like like let's let's get everything in place where you have your whole system of how you operate out there because when you have those answers you're going to feel a lot better pressure is not going to get to you as much and then from there it's more of just trying to understand you know what pressure really is you know how to reframe it a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm just never in the camp of trying to suppress anything. Like, oh, just don't think about it. 
you know, oh, it's another round of golf. I mean, all that stuff is just, it's not good because as soon as you start feeling pressure, then you're like, oh, what's, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling this? You know, it works very much in the opposite. I always get flustered when someone's like, oh, it's just another round of golf. Like, don't think about it. Or the worst, <laughs> like if somebody's playing and somebody yells like, oh, there's a lot more golf left or something like that. Like, that's the last thing you want to tell somebody. If they're out there like drowning, oh, you got a lot, a lot more lake left in there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like it's it's trying to again just just understand That's so good like those pieces of it you know what I'm saying yeah um and trying to just again get prepared for all of that stuff and I mean the biggest thing is I I try to get people to understand and I I found this a little little more challenging with girls especially but like to embrace competition you know like hey you're actually you're you signed up for this. You signed up to compete. Like, I never had to be sold on that. Like, I love to compete. Like, I'm a very competitive person, whether it's life, business, whatever. Um, that was never a thing for me. So competition was like, I, I like this. Like, yes, I feel my heart thumping, but that's that's a good thing because otherwise I'd be bored. Um, not everybody feels that way, and, and especially a lot of the young ladies. I mean, they, they feel a lot of judgment and, you know, a lot of things there. So the best I can, I'm trying to get them to understand what's really happening. And in a bad way, like nobody really cares, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, it's not all about you. Like people really don't care. You you know, you might have a mad parent or something like that, but most of the time it's going to blow over in a day. And then again, it's just, it happens done. Now what, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's not the end of the world. It's not life or death. So like, again, not everybody's looking at you not everybody cares, but there's always that feeling of judgment though. You know, when your name's on a leaderboard or, or whatever, I mean, even in a club championship, I mean, the other people, there's always judgment and judgment essentially is what's always going to create the highest level of stress, which is why public speaking is such a monster fear of people, mm-hmm. right? It's judgment. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's worrying what, what they're going to say. So is the best way to handle that to, I mean, I mean you, you talk about not suppressing it, right? Not suppressing things. So a form of suppression could be no one cares, but what's what's a way to for a player to to be able to experience other people's opinions and not be thrown off by them? Like you talk about being able to uh, know how to handle a short sighted shot from the rough. The mental equivalent would be you're you're playing and and you've got people watching you, or you're in a group. And those two are best friends and you're all alone, that kind of thing. So what, what way can like, that's, that's the mental, com, uh, equivalent of like a short sighted shot in the rough, that kind of thing. Sure. What, what's a way someone can equip themselves for that? Well, it's a, it's an interesting and great question, right? Cause I mean, what a lot of people really don't understand about golf is there's about four hours or more that you're not doing anything. <laughs> and that time spent matters, right? Like you said, are you conversing or are you not conversing? Are you sitting there in your head beating yourself up over the shot that previously happened? Or are you sitting there worried about, you know, what's going to happen in the future? Like, you know, are you counting your, sitting there counting your score and thinking about every scenario? I mean, you know, everybody's a little bit different. This is why, you know, John and mental golf type were, were so great to be able to learn from with that personality and where people actually go. Cause that's very, very valuable stuff. And, Again, for anybody listening that's never done that, you should go take your mental golf type quiz. You can do that for free at the, their website. But um, but that side of it's huge because then you start understanding like what is actually stressing you 
and what's not, you know what I mean? And like what actually calms somebody. So quite simply me as an extrovert, like I'm always better off talking and conversing and whatever. So, you know, and everybody, you know, a lot of experts will say, well, if my group doesn't talk, well, let me hum the song, you know, you know, do something, be external, talk to yourself, even though if you look like a weirdo, who cares? But, you know, so yeah, so those other four hours and just learning to, you know, just be where you need to be. And it doesn't always need to be focused on golf. Like, you know, think about something that makes you smile. Here's a, here's a really good one. I tell this a lot is uh, when I first of my, like first uh, practice for my college golf team, um, I met my, was one of my best friends in the world now, Nate. And, you know, Nate is kind of that just goofy, shaggy hair, you know, guy, you think Jim Brewer type person. <laughs> and um, so he had, Cartman from South Park, like a cutout on his bag. Right. And so we're paired together in the first group. We're playing, kind of talking and know each other by, you know, like back nine or whatever it was. I, I just was like, Nate, I got to know, man, what's up with Cartman on your bag? It's like, oh, it's easy. It's like, I start playing bad. I get mad. Look at that. I laugh. I play better. I was like, dude, that's so brilliant. I mean, I didn't understand how brilliant that was until later, later on, but like just that ability to have something to make you smile. Um, you know, I did stuff in the past where I'd throw like, especially when, when Justin Bieber was really big, like I'd throw like Justin Bieber jokes in people's bags and say, hey, if you get upset, don't look at that yet, but just open that out there. And then, you know, they get a laugh out of that type thing. Um, you know, I had um, one of my girls who played professionally would carry around a picture of her little baby niece. And she's like, anytime I start getting flustered, I'd just look at that and I just would feel instantly better. You know, those are those are two instant ones is like smiling and yawning will help like kind of take some pressure off like you see olympians do the fake yawn a lot because like when we think when you like you breathe out like that's when we feel super relaxed right and this is a theory why like smokers like have a hard time getting ready because everything mm, it feels so good everything's out shoulders down right like that exhale so when you fake yawn like everything's just it's you know it's temporary you almost keep doing it keep breathing but like that alone and just smiling getting all that tension out of your face is a big a big relaxer so that's something to do in between shots if you're feeling overwhelmed or you know again feeling like you're you got seven hours to go out there because you're struggling type thing um yeah and there's i mean there's a lot of different strategies but that's i would say like figuring out how you operate best is really good for you know figuring out what do you do in that other four hours yeah that you're not playing golf and learning how to shut it off. You know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people out there think that they need to be on the entire time, focused the entire time. You got to be focused for like 30 minutes in golf, like legitimately, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? So that, that alone, I think lots, when I tell that to people, they're always like, Oh, wow. Like it takes a lot of pressure off. Like you got 30 minutes to be on out there. The rest of the time, go somewhere else, you know, talk to people, have some fun, enjoy nature. You know, I tell people, oh, you could, you could be in a slave camp. Yeah. It could be worse, right? There's a lot of worse things you could be doing right now than out on the golf course, enjoying life. <laughs> yep. And that, that gratitude, that perspective also makes it, I think that much easier to accept when it's not going well, because sure. at the end of the day, I, I can hit a terrible shot. I could snap hook this out of bounds. It's not that bad. It could be so much worse. I could be so many different places that I would rather not be. I'm on the golf course. So that, that gratitude of, I get to be here. I get to be here. Uh, helps the acceptance be stronger. So something you mentioned was 
uh, emotional control. And you said you kind of went down that rabbit hole and, and you said you looked into some different high performing, uh, uh, I think you said maybe something military related or something. So what, what kind of learnings have you, uh, found with emotional control? What is emotional control? Is that something we should all be trying to do and learn? What, what is that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I had a little Navy SEAL obsession. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, again, it's just, we'll, we'll go down that route another time, but I mean, they're just, they're, they're amazing people and they lay their lives on the line for us all the time. You know, that's the way I look at it. So, sure. But, you know, I look at them, I'm like, there can't be a more high pressure situation. Right. So, and, and they always seem cool and calm. And I've gotten a fortunate to know um, one particularly that I've done a couple of podcasts with and just had outside of that long, long conversation, just about, you know, that stuff, right. And talk about gratitude, like being alive. I remember the first time I talked to him, I looked at him, I was like, he was a 20 year commander. And I said, it's like, well, you're obviously successful. He goes, yeah, I'm alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, but I mean, that's, that's, you can't get more of a, a life or death situation than that. So I'm always like, how do they control themselves in that situation? So I, that's where I really looked at. And I mean, one of them is heart rate, you know, and I think that's so we're really overlooked is like we spend an astronomical amount of time learning to lower our heart rate because when the heart rate's up, it elevates a lot of different stuff. I mean, you can look at all the science of what that does. But, you know, if your heart rate even gets to a certain level, supposedly they've done some simulations or tests. Uh, I can't cite the exact study, but there's an actual test. If your heart rate gets high enough, you lose actual like motor function. Like people couldn't even do the mundane task of dialing 911 when their heart rate was so elevated. So having a high heart rate is actually already starting to inhibit things, you know, so learning how to do that, number one. And then just in my own personal journey, I, um, I you know, I had my, my childhood issues with anger and things like that. And I got to a point where, I mean, I, I legitimately think it was a point where I just had another tournament and I wasn't playing it and I was mad and probably slamming clubs. And then I just kind of was like, this doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I, I'm just not getting, I'm not playing better from being upset. So, and I'm like miserable because I'm upset. So this, this is working against me in multiple different ways. So some of that was just life stuff. I'm like, look, getting mad, like no sense works. Like in basketball, I can, I get mad in basketball. I run harder mm. in golf. You can't really try harder. I mean, over trying and overthinking are probably the two leading causes to poor performance. Right. Hmm. So it's like, but it's a hard thing, right? Because when you're struggling, I mean, society tells us try harder, focus more, you know, and when we try to do that in golf, it actually inhibits performance more than anything. I mean, when we play our best, it feels easy, it feels no stress. I mean, everybody in the history of time that's played really well comes off of the course and is like, wow, that felt so easy. I've never heard anybody shoot a career round or something and go, man, that was a grind. Mm. Like, like it just doesn't happen, right? Because we tap into that. It's just the thing is nobody knows how to tap into that. <laughs> or we have a hard time tapping into that because we're, you know, into those different emotions or state, but it's like, yeah. So we can go really deep on that. It's like, what does it truly mean to you? I mean, there's usually a couple different layers, right? So again, if we go back to judgment, it's like, what are you afraid of being judged for? Is it truly because some college might not want you? Or is it because somebody's going to think a certain way of you? Is it going to damage a relationship? You know, there's all these narratives that come into our head. I mean, with kids, a lot of times it's, you know, what are my parents thinking of me? You know, are they going to yell at me? 
Um, I hate, I hate that that's the case, but and, and a lot of times it's not even the case, but it's like a self narrative that, you know, somebody's gonna be really mad at me. I'm gonna let my coaches down. I'm gonna let this person down. Um, so there's a lot of emotions that can come up with that. And when we start to get into that, we actually are accessing different parts of our brain and we can't even use the best part, like the part that's supposed to control motor function and things like that. So we're already inhibiting ourselves when we get angry or we get emotional or we get high heart rate. So always trying to learn to, you know, just the best you can stay into like what the, what the task is and what, what you need to be doing. All right, everyone, hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kyle. I really liked the way he talked about emotional control and the actual effect it has on your body and your game. Also liked uh, how he talks about kind of the expectations you should have around uh, working with an instructor, your, the improvement of your game, kind of like this is this is the expectations I'm taking into this relationship with this instructor. Uh, I think he has a, some really cool views on that. If you like this episode, uh, another one that came to mind while talking to Kyle uh, for for odd reasons, but uh, I, I think you would like my conversation I did with Dr. Brett McCabe titled, You Have to Know This About Your Golf Personality. Uh, maybe it was talk about the, um, the mental golf type, that kind of personality quiz. Uh, maybe that's what brought this to my mind. Uh, but that episode that I did with Dr. Brett McCabe, it was released back on October 30th, 2020. So going on three years ago now at this point, I highly recommend you go check that one out. I really, that, that was a great conversation with uh, Dr. McCabe. Uh, but also, as Kyle mentioned, uh, that free mental golf type quiz, I included the link to take that quiz in the show notes. I'd love to get John Weir, uh, the guy who uh, created the mental golf type. I'd love to get him on the podcast to talk about it. I think that'd be a really cool uh, conversation. Uh, kind of, I have my mental game assessment. He has his mental golf type quiz kind of similar things but um i'd love to i'd love to talk about them but as I always mentioned at the end of these episodes what you've heard here isn't therapy it's meant for information and entertainment purposes only if you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things that you're going through i encourage you to go talk to a licensed professional but on the golf psychology front if you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it and you'd like to work one-on-one with someone i'm a golf psychology coach I work with players all over the world on improving their minds so they can improve their performance on the course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com, or you can visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. Or again, if you'd like a less formal intro where you don't even need to talk to me, you could take the mental game assessment. It's a 15 minute questionnaire that'll give you your mental strengths and areas for improvement. And again, the best part is it's free. And you can also, if you want to learn to practice better, you need to purchase the custom weekly practice plan that I will hand build based on your stats, your assessment of your game, your time availability, all of that. I will build your week down to the minute of exactly what you should do when you get to the course or what you should do when you get to the simulator or when you're putting indoors or uh, whatever, whatever way that you practice, however you spend your time. You can spend it better. You can do it in a, more, in a higher quality way. That will be done with the custom weekly practice plan that I can hand build for you. Okay, so the link to everything that I mentioned will be in the show notes of this episode. All right, thanks again to everyone who listens to The Mental Golf Show. 
Whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community that you have been a part of building. If you learned something on this episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Maybe mention the biggest things you learned on this episode with Kyle uh, underneath your five-star review, of course. But yeah, mention so that other people can know, like this is the kind of thing that you'll learn when you come check out The Mental Golf Show. And I'd also love it if you shared this episode with a friend who just goes to an instructor and leaves after not seeing results on that first day. Yes, Kyle talks about being able to see results quickly, but bouncing from instructor to instructor to instructor is probably not a great way. So send this episode to a friend of how to have maybe better expectations of, uh, of when they start working with an instructor. They probably need to hear this. Okay, thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys next time.